Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to share ideas about your word, about the work that we have in this world. Uh, we pray that you'll bless us now, that you'll give us ears to hear, and that the Holy Spirit can be upon us, and we'll be motivated to finish the work so we can see you soon. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, if you came for a, a dental lecture today, that's probably not what you're going to hear because um, a lot of my life right now is still in dentistry, but dentistry has become more like a, uh, a tent-making opportunity for me. I use it to do other things. In fact, this year I, I'm experimenting to see how little dentistry I can do so I can do other things. Um, and I'm getting some feedback from my patients at that, but uh, uh, we'll see by the end of the year. I'm down to about uh, 25 or 26 hours a week, and uh, currently I'm working with a Pennsylvania conference and some initiatives that we're trying to do, uh, particularly with regards to metropolitan ministries, something that I've really become in interested in and done some research on. And that's what I'm going to share with you today about centers of influence. Uh, when I saw that the seminar here was about seminar uh, centers of influence, I got real interested because in the research that I've done with Metro initiatives, centers of influence are the key elements of uh, Metro initiatives. And of course, associated with that is medical ministry and all the other things that we know about. So some of these things are going to be familiar to you. You've heard them before. I'm going to share with you lots of counsel because we've done lots of uh, research in our, in our conference and we're about to set off on an initiative to put these things in place in Pennsylvania Conference. We've gone through due process and gone through executive committees and adcoms and meetings and meetings and uh, you know as a business person I'm not used to all that stuff. but. I'm going to share with you how this is part of God's plan, is that we do it through the organization, and it's slow, but when we finally get to where we need to be, it's going to be an exciting adventure ahead of us. So I have uh, four children. For my classmates, I only had one when I was in, in, uh, in um, dental school. Uh, the one on the... The right here is Brianna. She was the one that was born in dental school. And my son Justin and my daughter Emily, this is just three of them. Um, th these two are at Andrews, and that one on the, in the yellow on the left will be at Andrews next year. I'll have three there at the same time. So I can't completely quit my day job yet. Um, but they're a blessing to me. And this is the other guy who I took on a fishing expedition lately. His name is Jaden. He was more interested in the worm than the fish. But um, Jaden came along about nine years ago, and I, I need to share, because Jaden has had such an impact on my life. Jaden has Down syndrome. He also is autistic. He has ADHD. Uh, and so if you put all three of my other kids together at the same time, they were not as much work as Jaden is. But they are, were not as much joy I mean, I shouldn't say that. They're going to hear this, aren't they? <laughs> they're, they're, they're all a joy. But Jaden brings a, a little bit of specialness to the table. And you know, there's weeks uh, where you, it's the only thing you can accomplish is, is working through his life. Um, so here's my wife's dilemma in, uh, in our family is uh, Justin, uh, Justin and I are vegan. 
uh, Emily and Brianna are vegetarian, and Jaden is vegan with lactose intolerance, which would be vegan anyway, but he can't have casein, and also he can't have any gluten. So she gets to figure that out every night when she's trying to cook for everybody at home, and she does a marvelous job. But Jaden has taught me more about life than just about anything else, and I'm gonna share some stories. We're gonna come back to him about what we're to be about as people, uh, because he's, he's simple enough to keep it simple for me. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so what uh, we're doing in Metropolitan Ministries is we began this quotation a few years ago, hit me so hard that um, I had to pursue this mission. And that is, is, is that she says, there's no change in the messages God has sent in the past. The work in the cities is the essential work for this time. Now look at this part. When the cities are worked as God would have them, the result would be setting an operation of a mighty movement such as we have not yet witnessed. I looked at this and it had come off of a series of things that had happened to me. First off, Jaden was born and that year, changed everything for me in terms of uh, I decided I really needed to not concentrate so much on the things of the world but more about the things of the Lord and so the same year that he was born I decided to do church plant right um, and some people would call that crazy and, and looking back it probably was and and then we did that for a while and we still have a church plant and and then I decided I wanted to do something else. I needed more time. And so my kids were in the academy and I, would, and I was a little dissatisfied with the science program. So I went and I said, look, um, I'll, I'll come and teach science if you want me to. And so I changed my schedule at work and I went and I started teaching science at the academy for a few years. It only took me three years to learn that I wasn't a teacher, by the way. Um, it's, it's really a, a special skill. Um, and then um, I, I've been working closely uh, with the church planning group and for a year I got to kind of fill in and, and, and help the church planners in the conference. And I, I didn't do terribly well as a conference person in terms of church planning as I look back. Um, but what I did learn was I started seeing patterns and that is to say that church plants that were in the cities were doing well and church plants in the country weren't doing so well. Now, my, my church plants as country as it gets um, you know, there's cornfields all around and there's not a real population base. And so we've struggled to grow. But our church plants in our cities have done quite well. And that threw me into studying. And I talked to the conference president. I said, hey, look, there's something here. There's actually a, there's actually a blueprint to do this correctly. And he asked if I would research it and begin to present it in our executive committee and other places. And when I came across this quote, I, I noticed that the word when suggests to us is, is that, that it, this is a prophetic quote. Okay, she said, Ellen White wrote this in 1910. So she was 80 years old and uh, she started talking about the city work in 1889. And it became a burden in her life uh, to the point where her son wrote uh, to the general conference and said, look, um, Ellen White has such a burden for this, sometimes she feels like she's going to die because it's not moving forward. That's how much of a burden it, it was. And, and there was some interesting back and forth between the, the, the general conference and Ellen White to the point where one time um, the 
General Conference President went out to visit her in California to her home and he hadn't been heeding the counsel that she'd been giving with regards to the city and so she refused to allow him into her house. He said, until, she said, until you're converted with regards to the, to the counsel that God has given. And uh, later on he said he, he needed to be converted. He admitted to that. And so we look at this prophetically in 1910, it still didn't happen. And a and, and hundred years later, we've been wandering in the wilderness as a, a church and it still hasn't happened. In fact, it's gotten worse. And so uh, the second part of this is when the cities are worked as God would have them, it, 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 it occurred to me that God has a plan. It's as he would have them to be worked. And so I wanted to know, well, if he has a plan, then it must be evident in the scripture. It must be evident in counsel. And, and that's what we set out to do. But this next part is really fascinating. The result would be the setting and operation of mighty movement such as we have not yet witnessed. And I started thinking and I thought, man, I really would like to be part of a movement instead of a church. Mm -hmm. You hear what I'm saying? And and this is quite a statement coming from a woman who had started out with the Millerite movement, had been through the Great Advent movement, had been through 1888, and yet in 1910 said, there's a bigger one coming. And, and of course, she, sp she spoke about that later on in her life where she said, you know, this is in great controversy where, where ultimately she sees people going door to door, their faces lit up. Miracle following miracle. Now, sometimes when these things need to happen, like the miraculous is going to happen, the didactic needs to happen first. In other words, you have to put your foot in the Jordan before it parts, right? And so as I present this to administrators, the biggest concern is funding. That's always, and it's the biggest hassle. And it's hard for me, believe it or not, to talk to administrators and say, look, Sometimes we have to move in faith. Sometimes we do. We can, we can do all the planning we possibly can do, but sometimes we have to move forward. If it's thus saith the Lord, we need to move forward in faith. Okay, so that's, that's where we're at. We, fortunately, we are getting, hopefully getting some funding and we've, we've worked out some details. Um, and so we started moving forward with research, in fact, there's folks in this room that helped me with the research, and that's great. We did uh, a nice compilation of quotations, of ideas of what a spirit of prophecy is, has said with regards to this work. We did it in sections, and I can make that available to you at any point. Uh, just let me know afterwards, give me your email address. Um, and we started looking at all the, the details and we noticed that something about that the Lord was asking us to go back to the cities of the south and the east and the west and the north, that we should send messengers into the field. And then she makes a statement. She says, what are our conferences for, if not for the carrying forward of this very work? So we began to understand that this does have to be an organizational issue. So what I'm talking to you about today is a construct or it's the idea that this really is about the church moving forward as a whole. Okay, so we're trying to find something to put everybody active in, in terms of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, if I had told my folks that the last movement would be about the whole church being concerned about the people in the cities, they would have said, well, you're crazy because we were told to move to the country. 
and that's very true. But the problem is with the council is not that we weren't to move to the country, but that was just the first part. We were to move to the country and then minister to the cities, just like Enoch did. Okay? And we did really good with the first part and not so good with the second part. Okay? So in, in Pennsylvania, in our situation, and I'm going to start really moving, okay? In Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, in our situation, we figured out that um, in our state that about 83% of the population was now, is now living in the metropolitan areas, okay? But about 50 to 60% of our assets as a people were in the country. In other words, and I'm talking about assets, I'm talking about pastors and that sort of thing. And if you start looking the breakdown, in other words, most of what we have is not where the people are. Okay? And so we have to change that, right? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. He would go from place to place, usually to city to city, because, not because he liked cities, but because that's where the people were. And Paul did the same thing, right, on his missionary journeys. You can carefully document that. Okay, so when we looked at all the research, we looked and we said, I like mind maps, I don't know about you, but I had to put it on a mind map and, and do a visual, and we saw, oh wow, there's lots of stuff that needs to happen in order for the end product. The end product is, is that a memorial or, or a church plant will happen in a city where it wasn't before, okay? And so all of these entities began to develop in that there's outpost centers, there's urban churches involved, there's rural churches, there's wellness centers or sanitariums, there's other wellness centers, and in the city there's missions, and all of these things are connected uniquely in order to produce a result, and that is what God really wants us to win people's hearts. And he wants people from all parts of the church to work towards that goal. Okay? Now at the heart of this, and this is where we've really uh, gotten away from it in terms of historical Adventism, at the heart of this, she says that missions are the essential foundation of the missionary effort in our cities. How many of you know of Adventist missions in cities? Yeah, it's, there's, there's a few, aren't there? But are, are, are there a lot? No, no we've really, and, and, and yet, she says it's the foundation of the missionary, missionary effort in our cities. And so there's some work to get back to. I guess that's what I'm pointing out to you today, is, is that the work that we need to get back to is, is to figure out how do we get missions in cities so that our missionary effort can be more efficacious, like Ellen White said. So that's one element that we looked at. Another element is, is that she says, henceforth the medical missionary work is to be carried forward with an earnestness which is, has never been carried. This work is the door through which, which the truth is to find entrance into the large cities. Okay, so first we're going to have missions, and then the key to the missions working is what? It's the medical missionary work. Now, we're getting a lot of kind of ideas of what medical missionary work is in, in this conference, but I want you to, I want to take you to some place so that we can get a, a better feel for it, and that's the 50th chapter of Isaiah, right? It's going to describe medical missionary a little bit different than what we're accustomed to because we're thinking in terms of doctors and dentists and all that kind of stuff, and we really need to broaden our, our idea about that. I don't know if you have your Bible, but I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to put the preacher on here for a little bit if, you can, if that's okay. Okay. Okay, so Isaiah 58 starts out like this. He says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. A trumpet in the Old Testament paradigm 
is significant to Israel. It's significant in this way, and that is, is whenever a trumpet would blow, the whole camp would move. They'd prepare for battle. They realized that the enemy was approaching. They understood that the Day of Atonement was coming. All of those things, there's seven things that happen when trumpets blow, right, in the Old Testament. And all of those things are appropriate in this passage. And by the way, you see here that it's the present truth for who? For when? For today, right? And there's other quotations that talk about this is what we need to know. This is the truth that we need to know. Why? How do we know that? Because at the end of the chapter, at the end of the chapter of chapter 58, it's spoken to Sabbath keepers. Okay? It's spoken to, in the beginning of the chapter, it's spoken to God's people. Okay? So, in the last day, we consider ourselves God's people who are Sabbath keepers. This is directly who Isaiah 58 is speaking to, is speaking to the Seventh-day Adventist church. Okay? In the last days. And what does God want us to know in Isaiah 58? What does it have to do with mission, being a medical missionary? Well, first off, he wants us to know that there were only two things that they were doing as his people anymore. And this is because this is a captivity letter. They were still in captivity. They didn't have the whole sacrificial service going on anymore. And so all they could do was fast and keep the Sabbath. That's what they were allowed to do. And what God was telling them in this chapter is, look, you're not getting either one of those right. Okay, so now if I want to transpose that down to these last days, and I want us to know if, there's, if we were to pick two things that we thought we were doing correctly, one of them would be the Sabbath, and yet the scriptures is, I'm not telling you that the Sabbath is wrong, but what he's describing is, is the way we keep the Sabbath is wrong in this chapter. You got, your minds are going all over with that. <laughs> I know that, and, I, and, and you need to study that for yourselves, but we need to take the counsel from the prophet Isaiah and say, well, maybe I'm not keeping the Sabbath the way the Lord would have me to, to keep it. And the second one is fasting. And he goes into a description of fasting, and this is what Ellen White calls medical missionary work. Is this not the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring your house to your house, the poor who are cast out? And when you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Now that sounds a little bit different than uh, the medical mission that we've been talking about so far this weekend. It includes that. In other words, in my office, Every opportunity I get to meet someone's needs, I need to do that. Whether it's their dental needs or whatever it is, I need to try to meet their needs that way. But this goes a little bit further because it doesn't just say that I should share somebody, give somebody food if they need it. It says I need to share my bread. That's my bread that I need to share. I gotta give them my bread. And it says in that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out. I'm not taking them, I'm not giving them $25 to stay at the local motel. I'm, I'm raising a standard here, okay, because this is what God's asking us to do as a people. He's saying, look, this is about you personally. Medical missionary is about you and you loving other people. We're gonna talk about this a little bit more later because I have a statement for you that if you walk away unchanged from this statement, then you haven't read it carefully enough. 
So according to Isaiah 58, this medical missionary that we're called to is a little bit different than what we've looked at so far. Okay, one of the things that she says is, okay, we're going to get people into the cities. We're going to train them to be medical ministers, and we want them to go in companies. Okay, this is not really hard to understand. When Jesus, uh, put it in biblical terms, Jesus did it like this. He recruited, right? How many did he recruit? Twelve. He re recruited twelve. He trained them. What did he train them in? He tra trained them to teach the word or to share the gospel and to what else? Heal. To heal, okay? So he combined medical ministry with the gospel. This is the connection that was never supposed to be separated, okay? This is the connection that was supposed to be characterizing the Adventist church from the very beginning, okay? And somehow there's a rift that we've managed to uh, come up with. But now what God's calling to us in, in these last days is, is if you can put it back together, it will start a mighty movement. Amen. Okay? You want to be part of a movement? Amen. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so we're going to put people in companies after they've been trained. Oops. And I put this one up there because she points out that a lot of these people are going to be young people. Now, that doesn't surprise me. Does it surprise you? Because I've been working in church work for a long time, and I understand that it's really hard to get the old wine to be new wine. You know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, all, that, all those sayings, right? And so the people in the churches are really tired out. They're tired of programs. They're tired of, you know, pastor coming up with some new idea. And what I'm saying to you, this is an old idea that we're going to bring back, but we're going, to put, we're going to put a little different taint on it. In other words, she's looking for an army of youth, rightly trained. That's part of the, the package, too, that young adults will be the ones who are come alongside uh, veterans, so to speak, who are going to watch over them, and in companies, they're going to reach the cities for Jesus Christ. That's the basic plan, okay? Okay, so we had to come up with some strategies. One is, is this, how do we put centers of influence in, in cities? By the way, uh, if you want to do this and you want to use your uh, CD-ROM, centers of influence, plants, and missions are synonym, they're synonyms in uh, council. And so there's, you know, for centers of influence, I think there's 88 hits, and, but if you really want to get the big picture, you want to go beyond that. In other words, we need to learn how to strategically understand how to, how to place medical missionary, uh, medical missionary workers in centers of influence. We need to somehow form companies of young adults under the guidance of experienced workers. And we need to establish permanent memorials for Christ. Those are the strategic uh, ob objectives that we have. That's a big, a big task, isn't it? It's not something little. I, you know, I, I'm sorry, quotations, it's the hardest kind of lecture to give. I'd much rather preach, but yeah. it's just the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so strategically, we needed to go through some steps here. The first thing she says is just as soon as possible, in order to do this strategically, schools need to be established and work, workers educated to do medical missionary work. How many of you know of a medical missionary school? There's a few of them, right? Um, if you go through the council, they're supposed to be all over the place, in our churches, in our outpost centers, in our schools. In other words, we're to be everybody in the Adventist church is to be trained to be a medical missionary. Even children can be medical missionaries. That's okay. 
So how can we possibly train? Well, we could do a centralized school, and I'm thinking as a conference person now, we could make a central school very expensive, hard to do. You know, you gotta have a building, you gotta take care of all the expenses that way. You can train outside of a conference, we can send them somewhere else to get trained, or we can create a progressive training apparatus within our city churches, and that's what we're attempting to do in Pennsylvania. What does that look like? It looks something like this. Sorry, I, I didn't put this, I like, do like mind maps. Is, is as we recruit people, we're gonna have churches that train students in medical missionary work in particular areas or modules of education. Those modules come directly out of council so we know exactly what we want them trained in. When they're all done and they go through the cycle of training, we put them in companies and we put them alongside a church that's in a city, okay? Now what have we done with our, our churches in the cities? Well, we said to pastors, how would you like to do church differently? How would you like to stop hovering over your church and be connected to a group of missionaries who are ready to raise up a new church? And, and we had quite a bit of interest. There were quite a few people who were ready to sign up. And so that's where we're at right now. We're, we're, we're getting ready to hopefully place a few of these companies this year in cities in Pennsylvania. And, 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 and I'm hoping that we can say three years from now that we have put hundreds in our cities. I have a, one of my, my bosses back there in the conference, and so, but he's very supportive. He's not the treasurer, though. <laughs> okay, these are the modules of training that we've looked at. Medical Missionary One. Medical Missionary One deals with what you and I as healthcare professionals have to offer. We can teach health plans, we can teach people how to eat right, we can do all those things, we can do some of the old standards, non-smoking, um, you know, teach them about to be alcohol-free. Medical Missionary Two, and this comes out of, is a different concept. It has more to do with the Isaiah 58 concept, and that is, is we need, to, we need to base some of the things that we do in these missions based upon the needs that are existing in the community. Otherwise, we're irrelevant, okay? And so when we go to a community, we don't say, um, you know, if you wear eyeglasses, here's my glasses, they should work for you too, okay? Because Philadelphia and Pittsburgh have different needs, okay? They have different ethnic needs, they have all kinds of different stuff going on, and so there needs to be medical missions based upon a local needs. We need to teach them in Bible work and literature evangelism, cross-cultural ministry, very important in cities. Practical mission necessities, why are we going to teach them in practice? Because we're hoping that some of these young adults who go through and are trained and stay with us for a year or two decide, I'm staying here and I would like to start a new mission. That's what we're hoping for. We're hoping some marriages happen out of this and two of them stay at the same time. You know, we're going to teach do, a, do some apologetics. And, and, and of course, the last thing we're going to do is, is we're going to get together and we're going to spend time on the gospel and the three angels' message. Now, why is that? Well, because all, everything I'm talking about so far is just the method. It's not the message. Did you hear what I said? It's just the method and not the message. We're using the method of opening doors in the city so that we can give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Right? Because our, our real concern is about their eternal welfare. And so, uh, you know, a Sabbath school lesson not too long ago talked about the idea that there were at least five different gospels being preached in the Adventist church. And I think there's seven, probably. You know, that was in, in, in this quarterly. 
And so it's important that as we're training young adults, that we're training consistently. You follow me? So that when they come out, they're not confused as to how they're to move forward in the work for Jesus Christ. So the gospel is going to be a big initiative. In fact, the conference believes in that so much that they're making an effort to get all their pastors to come together to review what the basic gospel principles are. Amen. That's pretty forward thinking, I think. I bet you all want to know which gospel is right, don't you? <laughs> Okay. okay, I'm going to quickly click through here. So we're going to form companies. We're going to create cities, needs-based plans. I can get any of these DVDs or any of these uh, slideshows for you. We can establish missions committed to strong educational missionary work. Why educational missionary work? Because even in medical missionary, what we're all about is Education. I don't want to use that phrase, educate, 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 okay? And so what we're going to try to do in the cities is create a strong educational missionary work. Now, why? Well, because, believe it or not, not only was she inspired, she was pretty intelligent. And, and, and this is an intelligent design, the way this is set up. Uh, that is to say, a lot of times when we uh, talk about metro initiatives, the first thing people want to do is a restaurant, right? And uh, if you read all the counsel, you realize, wow, that's the, that's the wrong approach to things. Because the restaurant, believe it or not, comes down the line. And so the, it's significant. It's significant to do some educational stuff. You teach people about what they need to eat. You show them what they need to eat. You do cooking schools. You create an environment where people are interested in this. And then maybe down the line, it's time for this, restaurants. Wherever a strong educational ministry work is in progress, a hygienic restaurant of some sort should be established, which shall give a practical illustration of the proper selection and helpful pre preparation of foods. In other words, the restaurant should be illustrating what they've been educated on. Okay? So from a businessman's perspective, does that make sense? Yeah, you create the clients and then you give them the opportunity. Okay? That's the whole idea. So I appreciate, you know, as a businessman, and I have a couple corporations or LLCs that I run I'm in different businesses, I appreciate when I can make business sense of stuff, too, and make sense. Okay, here's another thing that makes sense, and that is the other thing that we all want to get involved is we immediately want to throw up a sanitarium, and sanitariums go up and they go down, right? There's some that survive, but there's a lot that don't. And the reason is, is because they don't have any feeders, right? right? Yeah. There's no feeders for them. The only feeders there are people like me. You know, Adventists that are a little overweight, right? And, and, and uh, fortunately, I can afford to go. But m most people can't. Now, this was not the original intent. The original intent was is, is for the sanitariums to be places where poor people from the cities can go Amen. and receive treatment for their condition, both for their body and their soul. Amen. Okay. And so we need to think about how are we going to do that? How are we going to manage that differently than we have in the past so that we can get back to the original plan? Why do we get back to the original plan? Because it creates a movement instead of a church. So ultimately, that's where we'd like to get. But look right in the middle there where she says, and, and, and it tells you where we're at too. For many years, light has been given to me that sanitariums, we call them wellness centers, whatever you want to call them, should be established near every large city. So how are we doing? 
<laughs> How are we doing? We, we have some work cut out for us, don't we? One thing I know, though, is, is that the last movements will be what? Rapid ones, okay. So this is the last movement. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's going to happen quickly. Either you get on board or you don't. That's, that's how it is. How many of you heard the sermon two weeks ago from the General Conference president, right? It's a major, major initiative of moving into the cities for Jesus Christ. And there's some big things going to happen in New York City. It's going to be pretty incredible. You should keep an eye on that. But, um, you know, after we did all this research, I came to realize that uh, our new General Conference president did the same research in his, his, his doctoral dissertation. And so it was neat. I got to sit down with him for half an hour and talk to him about, you know, what we had discovered and what he had discovered. And he got real excited. He's ex he says, guess what, Jeff? This is happening all over the world at the same time. So that's a God thing, okay? That's a God thing. Okay, ultimately, all of this is so that we can have new memorials for, for Christ created in the cities. There was all this stuff of creating missions and, and, and stuff in the cities is so that at the end of the day, people have found Jesus Christ and there's new churches, there's new places of worship, there's new activities happening for Jesus Christ. By the way, the best thing that we can do with those people is do what? Is train them and say, okay, start a new mission. Amen. Okay? Okay, now here, here's where the rubber meets the road. It's the Lord's plan that physicians well-versed in Bible truth shall unite with ministers laboring in the cities and aid in giving as a whole the harmonious message of warning that should be given to the world. Some of the very best qualified men in our institution should be chosen for this work. Now, th this is, I, I went through all of that so that I could get to this point, okay, today. In I don't know how many physicians are in the room, but there's a few dentists. And so, I, I, you know, I want you to hear what she's saying here. Okay, what we've been talking about so far this weekend, and, and I love the testimonials. We've been talking about how we can work within our practices to have an impact on our patients within our practices. And that's a beautiful thing, mm -hmm. right? But guess what? That's just step one. Yes. It's part A mm -hmm. of the whole process. In other words, that's just teaching us as if we're you know, uh, beginners, as Paul would say, as we're babies in the faith, it's teaching us to take baby steps towards being effective medical evangelists. Okay? And even that part is hard, isn't it? It's really difficult. I'm not going to deny that. But look at what it says here. It's the Lord's plan that physicians well-versed in Bible truth shall unite with ministers and laboring in the cities. How's that going to happen? How's that going to happen if you're working... 40 to 80 hours a week at your medical office or your dental office, how are you going to just pick up and say, well, I'm going to the city to work for Jesus Christ with the pastors? How's that going to happen? There's got to be a paradigm shift in us, doesn't there? Mm -hmm. Something in, within us has to change in order for this to happen, and that is we have to say, well, you know what? Maybe I don't need to make $300,000 this year. I know I'm hitting home now, right? Maybe I can do this on, maybe I can just get by and, and I can put the rest of my time in the work for the Lord. 
Because I'm going to tell you something. Not only does the Lord need your money, but he needs your time as well. Amen. What the church really needs is leaders. It needs leadership that says, look, I'm going to step in and I'm going to help accomplish this on, on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, what, that's really what this is about. Here's a quote for you. How am I doing for time? 14 till, so I have a couple minutes. Okay, here it is. It's a long one. Look at this. This, is, this has had more impact on me recently than most other things because I, I, I have to recognize what it's saying. Look at the life of many who claim to be Christians. And I, I, I don't look at anybody else's lives, okay? I'm just going to look at my life because I claim to be a Christian. The Lord has endowed them with capabilities and power and influence. He has entrusted them with money that they may be co-workers with him in the great redemption. All his gifts are to be used in blessing humanity and relieving the suffering and the needy. Do you hear that? You hear what it's saying? We are to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to care for the widow and the fatherless, to minister to the distressed and the downtrodden. Listen to this. This is the best part. God never meant that the widespread misery in the world should exist. He never meant that one man should have the abundance of the luxuries of life while the children of others should cry for bread. Here we go. Here's the tough one. You ready? The means over and above the actual necessities of life are entrusted to man to do good, to bless humanity. Now, when I, whenever I read that to a group, the first thing that's happening in people's minds is, I need to evaluate, evaluate what the actual necessities of life are. Yeah. Right? Um, for me, it's saying it's time to downsize. Yes. Yes. You know? For the first 40 years of my life, I thought it was all about upsizing. Right? Because that's kind of what the world teaches, isn't it? And really, what it is, is about doing everything I can because the good news is just that good. In other words, the only way you get here to this understanding that everything in my life needs to be poured into the work of the Lord is by understanding that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good enough to make me feel that way. Amen. Because if it isn't, then you're never going to get here. Okay, you follow me? Because you'll get caught up in trading in the world. You'll get caught up in, and, and by the way, trading is the, de that's the devil's idea of love. Remember in Isaiah, he said trading was found in his heart. What does that mean? What that means is the devil said, well, here's an alternative to agape. Here's an alternative to the love of God. God's love is unconditional. But this is a better way to manage the universe, is by trading. That is, is, if you give me something, I'll give you. Okay? You can look at the, how the church or how, how uh, the world is characterized in the last days in Revelation chapter 17 and 18, and you can see all, it's all about merchandising and trading. And think about it in your own personal life. I mean, I go to work every day, and it's all built on the premise of trading. I'm going to trade something for, for something else. Now, the only way to get out of that is to understand that I can actually give something to somebody that has more value than they have something to trade for. 
You understand what I'm saying? In other words, I can share with them the good news of Jesus Christ, and it's so good that I'm not really trading. I, I can only give it to you because you can't afford it. I can only have that understanding, though, if it's meant that much to me in my life. This is a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? These things, these things don't come naturally to us. Uh, Christ Object Lessons, I'll give you the... Thank you. I want to get back to a picture here in the beginning. Okay, these things don't come naturally to us, you know? I mean, we're just not, it, it's just, it's just everything goes against the grain, this whole idea of committing wholeheartedly. But actually God, you know, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, 10, God's looking for a people who's totally committed to reveal the character of God to the world, right? That's what he's looking for. And, and those people have this understanding about what Christ accomplished while he was here. Those people understand how great the gospel is. And that's what drives a movement instead of a church. My son, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm not good with people who are poor. Because it seems like when somebody poor comes into my office, they have certain expectations. I know, I know you know what I'm thinking. I know you've experienced it. That I can give a case away, and I have many times, and that patient will be more demanding than any patient that pays. Right? And my first reaction is, I'm never going to do that again. And that's because in my heart I'm trading, right? Even with that patient I'm trading, I'm saying, well, I'm, I'm the good dentist. I'm the good Christian dentist, and I'm going to give this away and, because it's the right thing to do. And actually I'm looking for to, to feel good about the situation. When I don't feel good about it, it's all blown up in my face, the whole idea, because I didn't approach it and just think, okay, this could be really lousy, but it's the right thing to do. For Christ, I might get a chance to talk to this person at yes. some point, right? You got to choose wisely with that. My son Jaden, to end, um, he so many object lessons, so many funny stories. His name means God is heard, uh, because when he was still in utero, he was diagnosed not only with all those other problems, but his heart was malformed and and had holes and and uh, serious enough that, you know. There were five doctors in the room when he was born because he was going to have to have a heart transplant. Mm -hmm. And uh, all the patients in my office started praying, even because I just said, hey, would you pray for my son? You know, he's not born yet, but he needs prayer. And one day Sherry called me and she said, I found a name because we wanted a name that was significant. And it, it's, the name is Jaden. She didn't know what it meant. I looked it up between patients and I said, wow. She picked a name, I looked it up, and I called her back and I said, you know what that means? It means God has heard. Well, what has he heard? Well, we've been praying. It's okay, God, we can handle a, a son with, with Down syndrome. But please, give him a good heart. And he got a good heart. His heart, his heart was perfect. There was, there, there's a before and after. Of a, a, whole, a heart with many holes and a perfect heart. And then, that story's gone to I have a friend who works at Jefferson. He, he took those two pictures up before the medical students and the staff, and he said, look, there's not everything you doctors can do. The only thing that happened from here to here is prayer. Amen. So you bring that kind of specialness into a house, and you know, I don't, I don't have to go out necessarily and look for the poor and needy or for those someone who needs to minister to these in my house all the time. 
but he teaches me. Last story. I was going to a health food store, and Jaden was with me. It's always an adventure to go to a store with Jaden. I have to check my pockets and everything before I leave because I might have extra stuff. <laughs> and, and as we were coming out, I was carrying him more as security <laughs> than any other reason I needed to hold him. And as we came out the door, there was a, an indigent man standing at the entrance. You know what I'm talking about, a homeless man, right? And my first reaction was, don't make eye contact. Right? Now, I, I know you've experienced that. Because if you make eye contact, what happens? It's scary what might happen, right? And so I tried not to make eye contact. I, in my heart, I said, well, if I don't make eye contact, there's not going to be an issue. I can get by, and we'll be fine. And we got by. And Jaden's over my shoulder like this, and his little head over the back of me, and he says, I love you, mister. See, I'm learning more from him than he is from me. That's what God's calling us to. I love you, mister. Okay, that's it. Have any questions? If I can, if I can collect myself. <laughs> any questions at all? I will take. What age group are you targeting for the youth? Yeah, we made a distinction uh, with youth, and and uh, one of the plans that we're I'm working on personally is is to do a different program for youth than for young adults. Ellen White makes it clear it's young adults who are to work in the cities. It's not such a great place for youth to be, and so. What we're doing where our academy is, is we're trying to do the same model in a small town and begin to train our academy kids, hopefully, so that when they go off to college, they might want to come back and work in our cities. Um, I have a question. How would be, what would be the best way to work, like to connect supporting ministries with the conference now in, in your situation? I'll tell you how I did it. I began to, um, just give them counsel, the conferences counsel. And most of the conferences don't have um, time to go through all the counsel. And I give them counsel like this. Um, Unless more, work, more is done than has been done for the cities of America, ministers and people will have a heavy account to settle with one who is appointed to every man his work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, there, I have a whole uh, section of research just for to give to conferences um, that's direct counsel to move into this work. I can if they, if they would like me to do that. I'd be glad to do that. We also have set up a very strategic approach with apparatuses to meet the, the, you know, how a conference can move into this in terms of strategic planning too. Um, I've also done a, uh, a significant amount of research in this area. It's really something that's been an interest to me. And one of the things that I've found is that, uh, you know, we've always got the question of finances. How, how is that going to happen? And yet, you know, looking in, the, in our history, I've seen how the Lord has provided. And one of the, one of the things that I've seen is that uh, one of the lessons that God's trying to teach us is to start small. And um, 
that can be seen even in the first sanitarium that we had. It came by a call from Ellen White saying, you know what, we need to start taking health reform more seriously. And so they decided they're going to have a little home where they can see some sick patients. And then it, it built from that. Have you ever thought about um, having a small model first and then just allowing the work to build itself? Or how is it that you're planning on starting off? Yeah, we are. We're probably going to, we're starting with two maybe two, maybe three. The third won't, won't, won't be in the same strategic model, but uh, we're looking at trying to get one or two companies placed this year and start with that to see if how it goes. And then we're going to learn a lot in that process. And uh, that's a lot to do. You know, that means recruiting 20 to 24 young adults and paying for them and housing them and feeding them and all those things. One more question. One more question. The question is, um, what acts of role, or how are we going about, um, Sister White says that when, when gospel workers and, and medical workers are not related, there's a place on the churches, the worst evil that we place there. Um, she, she, she's showing that, that that's the churches where, the, where this evil is placed. The question is, what are we doing specifically to the, the self-denial that you that you were pointing to, the paradigm shift. What are we doing to to uh, to, to make that a reality? Okay, one of the things that we're attempting to do is is that we're not just going to place companies, but the local church has to have. There's something called the local church apparatus. It's what the local church has to do in order to qualify to get a company. And there's clear counsel that there should be a mission group coming from the local church that is working with the company. And there's specific people that need to be in that group. Like, for, for instance, one thing is a, a business person from the church should control all the finances of the whole mission, not a pastor. And so that's how we're creating buy-in from the local church is by creating a mission group in the church that works directly and that mission group is going to be Paul and Silas they're not they're going to go and they're going to work with this group and they're going to stay with the new church Good. a follow-up question is what place does Adventist history play in in uh, in that journey what about the story of John Tyndale and John Burden uh, and even a larger story of John Kellogg and as a continuum of the story uh, to, to inform us? Um, we have looked, I have looked personally at some of those things. In fact, I just got some letters that were unreleased letters of Kellogg's um, uh, that are very informative that way. We have looked at, because there have been curriculums that were developed like or in the early years, um, we need to look back so that we can look forward. There was some, a real nice curriculum developed in Southern California in the 1930s. Yeah. Here's the issue, though. There hasn't been a movement yet. Yes. Okay, and so uh, we have not arrived at the strategy that God is seeking from amongst His people. We'll know when we have arrived, but the idea is to move forward, be strategic, and try to follow the council as best we can. Thank you, Dr. Jeff. Who would like to say thank you? Thank you. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org 
Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.